Be strong, Coraline. forever and let you love me and I'll let you sew buttons into my eyes hmm and if you somehow win this game then you let me go you let everyone go my real father and mother the dead children everyone you've trapped here to the nightclub where we are the ones who stitch buttons into our eyes i'm travis maxoboon your witch doctor on duty and with me tonight is the infernal immortal boy cowboy alex jones <laughs> alex jones all right um and tonight we're going to have some very special guests <clears throat> we're going to be talking with shadows worms and germs tonight on the podcast from the podcast talking with shadows the founders of the One Candle Society. We have Vic Waitley and Marcus D. Gentlemen. Hey guys, thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. This is our honor. Um, our pleasure. Our, our, our distinct um, raw dog pleasure to have you guys <laughs> on the show. Uh, Bareback. Bear <laughs> no. So I was doing some research about, I don't know, maybe a year ago or so for the Rougarou. Um, Mm -hmm. Louisiana's very own werewolf and one of the top videos on YouTube that popped up was by One Candle Society they had they do a very in-depth discussion on the Rougarou so much great information and it was so good that I I think I reached out on YouTube at first maybe and I was like whoa this is the best and found out you guys had a podcast and I've just dove, dove in ever since then and you guys you guys cover all sorts of shit um Tried to hit the weirdest yeah. stuff we can find. Yeah, we always tell people like if there's some aspect of the paranormal that you like, we've got videos for you. Like we've got con, we've got content for you. I don't really think there's a genre of the paranormal that we have not touched on in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, because you guys talk about everything from cryptids to, uh, like you said, certain paranormal uh, ghost encounters. Um, 
it, it runs the board. Uh, if people want their hodgepodge of supernatural, paranormal, unexplained, uh, mysterious, this is the podcast and YouTube channel to check out. The YouTube channel is One Candle Society, and the podcast is Talking with Shadows. Uh, do you guys have October plans? We do. We we usually have a uh, we have a patron or a patron where our patrons uh, get to vote on the theme for our podcast for the month. Uh, leading up in October, uh, it's looking like it's going to be missing four one one. That's Ooh. what we're going to be covering. So if you're the one to go in depth on that. on that, yeah, like the whole cool uh, phenomenon of people disappearing in the national park systems. Uh, oh yeah, isn't there like a huge cave system underneath? a lot of these national parks and oh yeah if you look at the missing 411 map of disappearances it matches up pretty well over cave systems Mm -hmm. and i've been working on a theory along those lines absolutely and there's tons of the cool thing about it is we literally spend an entire month talking about the missing 411 phenomenon because there's so many weird things that go into it missing persons weird cryptid encounters weird entity encounters conspiracies i mean they're i mean it's literally its own just almost its own genre honestly like if you really want to break it down so if everybody wants to hear about the missing 411 phenomena i mean Mm -hmm. you're gonna have to go and check out talking with shadows is this gonna also be on youtube as well or is this a podcast exclusive absolutely people can check out all of our content all of our podcast episodes on uh, on anywhere that they get their podcast we're on itunes spotify podbean um, Stitcher, YouTube, anywhere, anywhere that you can get podcasts, uh, you can download our, our uh, you can download our content. Uh, our particular case files, though, that we do where we cover different uh, things, a lot of things that have like visual elements, you can only get them on YouTube. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, we're about to have I, a new case file come out too. Yes, we're about to have a new case file that's about to come out. That'll probably be it'll probably be out by the time your episode goes out. We're probably about to release. Uh, we probably would have released our episode on Glimmerman by the time that this episode comes out. Ah, gotcha. All of this is going to be all links to all of this stuff. Your Patreon, YouTube listeners, it's all going to be in the show notes. So if you want to just quickly find your way there, that's where you're going to, that's where you're going to want to go is into the description or show notes. And you're going to get, you're going to get links to all this fucking spooky goodness. So tonight at the behest of the One Candle Society, we're going to be discussing something pretty strange, Mm -hmm. pretty, Pretty insane. It's the killer clown phenomenon that happened oh, yeah. in primarily 2016. I remember this. I I remember this being a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to set I want to set the mood. Okay, so imagine yourself at night going to like a parking garage or in just some abandoned parking lot. You're walking to your car, and then underneath a, a, a light in the darkness, there's standing someone in a clown suit with a sledgehammer <laughs> or a machete. And let's say you live in a red state. <laughs> what are you yeah. going to do? <laughs> Hold um, on. I have an answer for this. No. Just give me, just give me <laughs> one second because when I found out that uh, there it is, we were talking about killer clowns. Uh, <laughs> That's a uh, real man getting his gun right there. <laughs> 
I decided to come prepare. Dude, do not. There's. It's so bizarre to me how many times that I've read stories about people encountering stuff in the paranormal, and then like what you would assume in the next in the story would be, and then I pull down my gun. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it just never happens. And so anyway, I started blasting. Yes, right. So anyway, I started blasting. Pow, pow, like here pow. was this clown, <laughs> and then there wasn't. <laughs> right. A lot of this shit started a few years before with a few random sightings. Um, I think there was this guy in England, a Northampton clown that, that had a Facebook page and he's like, you know, come and see me around town. I'm a creepy clown. And it's, right. you know, kind of took away a little bit of, I guess, what he was trying to do. But I think it really started in Wisconsin. Uh, in 2016 was like when this really popped off. You had going to be pushing that uh, date back Keep going. A lot. <laughs> uh, you well the the whole weird bizarre uh, like killer clown phenomenon or some people even call it the phantom clown phenomenon it depends on where it depends on really what you want to start it. Yeah, the, I would say that it hit this huge major modern spike in 2016. But if you go back further than that, it had another really huge major spike just as much all the way back in the 1980s. Whoa. That, all the way back to the all the way back to the 1980s around uh, Brookshire, Massachusetts is when uh, a, there was a whole other slew of these like killer clown phantom clown phenomenons uh, popping up where people where mostly children reported seeing these strange clown like entities uh, that were approaching them. Uh, actually, back in the, back in the 1980s, they started in in Brookshire, Massachusetts, and most of the the accounts back then were generally uh, children during the day on like while they're at the bus stop waiting for to go to school. These vans pulling up, and a lot of them across the country all described the same type of van. It was generally some sort of like white van. Sometimes had a ice cream decal on it. I think in some of the stories had a broken headlight, and there were these men in there with clown masks. That was offering them candy to lure them into the into the van, and they they were yeah, and they were naked from the waist, and they were naked from the waist down. You didn't, dude. I wish I'd have got out what I was gonna say before you said that because I was like, this sounds like a roaming gang of pedophile clowns. Oh yeah, that's how that's how it started back in the net. That's a lot of the story. A lot of the a lot of the stories in the nineteen eighties were a lot like that, and they started in Massachusetts, and then they just took off like wildfire. Uh, during it was like 1981, I think, is when the first reports of those really started spiking in Massachusetts, and then they started spiking in uh, Pennsylvania, and then they get down into New Jersey, and I want to say down in Georgia, also at the same time. There, there were sightings of them down there, all the way even to California um, in the early 1980s, you where kids were all reporting some of these. And this was and this was before the age of Facebook, you know. So this was right, before right. people really could just easily just get on the internet and search for this stuff. Right. Like a lot of kids were coming forward and, and supposedly talking about these stories. I've seen these weird weird clowns that none of the cops ever caught. In many ways, this is a much older phenomena, but when it happened in the modern age of Facebook and social media, it just spread like wildfire and everyone became aware of something that was likely already ongoing. Damn. Do you think they were inspired by um, the, I guess, what would be the progenitor of all this, John Wayne Gacy? Mm, Maybe. I haven't seen anything that specifically ties them to Gacy because I think that if, uh, like, Gacy had a pretty iconic clown face. Yeah. And yeah. one of the, one, and I believe we had this conversation yeah. a few years ago. I would think that if they're trying to do an homage to Gacy, I would almost think that you would see more mimicry of his particular style going on. Yeah, right. like you, John, he got caught in 1978 
So his whole like tired was going like his whole like like uh, like weight like crime spree was going on during during the during the seventies. I you could make an argument you could make an argument that it's quite possible that many of the police agencies during the times were trying to lead the kids into making these reports. Um, a lot of people don't know this. This happened at the, the, the same time in the 1980s, whenever the the Phantom Clown Killer clown phenomenon was going on across the across the nation. This is the exact same time as the Satanic Panic, right. like during the, during the 1980s. And I believe you have the Phantom Social Work phenomenon yeah, going yeah. on. Uh, yeah, in, in, in England at the same time, where there's tons of like, these social workers that show up claiming that they're that they're so, claiming that they're like child services until they're pushed, and then they like run and freak out and run away. Right. Oh, and, yeah, and what and what most people don't know is modern forensic interviewing that 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 we know of like today, like of how to like interview like a kid comes from how badly police used to interview kids in the nineteen eight like nineteen eighties and before that. Right. Like, Especially you know, with the satanic panic stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this will be called, telling you they got flushed down toilets and yes, everything. That's probably, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like clown flushed me down a toilet. Yeah, and there right. was all these there were these <laughs> corridors we'd go down and they were set and they would sacrifice us. Like it was crazy, crazy right. shit these kids were like were being led into saying. And most modern police interviewing comes from the police not knowing that. So maybe at the time. Yeah, kids didn't know about John Wayne Gacy, but the cops knew about John Wayne Gacy. And, you know, he was a very prolific killer at the time. So it may have been something that it may have happened like one time out in the weeds and then it just spiraled out of control with all these police like leading these kids. We don't necessarily think that because, again, it, it goes it goes back further than that. Right. Um, and that, and this is why we've got talking with shadows on the show from the One Candle Society because they're bringing the fucking info dump that uh, T Blue <laughs> over fucking looked. Uh, I mean, I, I considered going into the history of the clown, but uh, <laughs> that's from a movie. The history of the clown, but I'm like, I'm gonna kind of avoid that and stick mostly to to this. The, I can tell I, you I'm what not... you would have found. It is hard to research the history of the clown. Anything involving clowns is very hard to get a good history on. Uh, truthfully, as far as folklorists can tell, there's no known specific history of where the clown com- comes from, where the clown face comes from, or anything along those lines. It mysteriously just occurs at certain points in time, but no one knows the origin of it. Although we'll be tracking down the origin of something similar and related a little later. Yeah, but it was, what's so weird is we don't know when the clown phenomenon, like just the clown archetype started. But we've known throughout history that that's just been a fear that everybody's had. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, like everyone's it's, scared it's, of clowns, man. Yeah, like and oh, just, yeah, the, yeah the, the history of when the clown is is a mystery, but we. But as far as long as they've been around, we've had fears of them. I think a lot of that has to do with, well, I'm going to say, again, didn't do the deep research. But from what I could correlate, Gacy and Stephen King popularized the fear of the clown, at least in modern times. And from a modern perspective, sure. Yeah, I get Rugrats played a hand in that, too. Rugrats? Yeah, yeah. The cartoon from Nickelodeon a long time ago. Oh, yeah. But since they introduced a character to children that had a very pronounced fear of clowns that probably oh. put the idea of clown fear into the zeitgeist. Chucky, Chucky Finster was yeah. really scary. Yeah, yeah. He always had a fear of clowns and we would watch it. And then we just kind of inherited our fear from that. Just as a note, actually, no, I have a fear of clowns because when I was a little kid, I was going through a haunted house and a clown beat the shit out of me. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I what? Mean, 
Wait, I mean, if what? You saw, if you saw no, Vic, no, you, yeah, if you saw Vic, you would under. He just has one of those punchable faces. <laughs> and I'm not oh, making this up. There's no. been numerous times we would be working at the psych hospital together, and there's the option of punching me or him, and people seem to decide to punch him. Well, unfortunately, I can take a punch though. <laughs> no, when I was when I was young, I was going through a haunted house. I got a little ahead of my dad. And this clown grabs me, picks me up, starts shaking me, slams me against the wall. That's all I really remember from it until my dad runs in, grabs oh him, God. and slams him against the wall. And I was told later on the guy got fired that he had some mental problems. What oh, the that's, fuck? But yeah, but the weird thing is this. Like, I have a very pronounced phobia of clowns, but I don't go into flight mode with them. If I see a clown, I get irrationally angry. Like one time I'm leaving a, a <laughs> store and there were two clowns at the exit uh, asking for donations. And uh, oh, no. I, I'm like, you guys need to get a manager and find me an exit. And the manager's like, don't worry, I'll walk you out. You, you're safe here. I'm like, no, man, I'm not worried about them hurting me. If you get me near those clowns, I will attack them. You have to take me out another exit. Damn. I just get very violent around them. Vic's going to go all MMA on these. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sighting in 2016 that caught my eye was the one that, that was in Wisconsin. And if I'm jumping ahead of what you guys want to say, oh, uh, just to get it out. It was, it was, in fact, linked to the filming of a short film called Gags, which later became a feature film, Gags the Clown. And it, and it took full advantage of the killer clown phenomenon because, you know, the phenomenon itself is, and I don't even know if we stated this openly at, at this point, but clowns were being seen all over America uh, in 2000, specifically in 2016. From the point of view of my research, it's like that's when, and as Vic said, because of the social media, it blew up. And everyone was like reporting this and that. Now, some people probably didn't even see a clown or what have you. But it, it, it did start with kids saying – and this, this is just the, the creepy-ass part for me – is kids said that they would see clowns in the woods whispering to them. I'm just like, clowns mm-hmm. whispering? It, it makes me think of the scene from It Chapter 2 when Pennywise mm-hmm. talks to that little girl under the bleachers. And I'm yeah. just like, that, that scene is creepy as all get out. And – also worth noting, when this phenomenon was actually taking place, I knew that the Stephen King novel, It, was being adapted to film, and it came out the next year. The first chapter did in 2017, so that was kind of like um, an odd synchronicity. Didn't Terrifier people... come out in 2016 as well? Yes. Well, there um, you go, dude. That's so, crazy. So clown was, the clown was in the zeitgeist, and even a year or two prior, there was the Eli Roth-produced film Clown, which is very underrated. So... And this is all tying it to horror film in a way, but you had clowns just being predominantly thrown at you uh, left and right, even in the horror genre. A point that I want to make there, though, the the types of clowns that typically got caught were more these like uh, killer clowness. I'm going to chase you, slash you, and, you know, chase you and do all that. The types of clowns that would do stuff where people would see them in the woods or people would report or like mostly kids, by the way, predominantly. Uh, that would report seeing them like outside their windows uh, during the day, or they would see them and they would just be like stalking them. The vast majority of the cases, nobody has ever caught similar back, like in the 1980s. Is it, is it time to talk about the Harlequin? Yeah. Yeah. You can bring it up because uh, you, cause you're talking about like the kids hearing whispers and stuff, like being like, like whispering to them. And I think that ties into what Vic's going to go into. Okay. There's a rarely encountered paranormal entity that's been assigned the moniker, the Harlequin. It's been done so because it's an extremely thin, lithe entity dressed in colorful, um, anachronistic clothing, usually with the traditional Harlequin face on. It is associated with coming from the woods and doing this sort of whispering, especially through windows to children at night. It has a lot of 
bizarre encounters, including mm-hmm. things like uh, in one encounter, this kid's been and his brother's been harassed at night by the Harlequin, but they think it's just the two of them. Then they're having dinner, and it's almost like time stops for the boy. The Harlequin moves around the kitchen, harassing him, <clears throat> and then it walks out, and it's like time resumes. But one of the things he notes afterwards is that he wasn't the only one that appeared traumatized, that his dad was seen traumatized, his mom seemed traumatized, his brother seemed traumatized. But even though when time stopped, it seemed like he was only really directly interacting with him. But that's when he realized this phenomenon is occurring not just to me and my brother, but to my whole family. This entity, we spent a lot of time talking about this many, many years ago, and we actually took the time to collect stories from anyone who we could get them from mm-hmm. and tried to work up a profile. He says rarely, but I'm still debating about whether or not it's a completely rare entity or whether or not if the Harlequin-esque, this jester-esque entity that he's talking about, it's just a a, a genre of clown phenomenon. Because a lot of them are very, like, if you look at, like, Smiling Man phenomenon, like, where pe- like people report, like, there's this, just this <laughs> Smiling Man that's in their bedroom staring at them. You hear a lot of the similar phenomenon of, like, the Harlequin like you're talking about, or even the stalker clowns where they're just showing up and just staring at you. But they're wearing like bright checkered flashy uh, jackets, also very similar to the clowns, by the way, from like the 1950s. And even still, you can still sort of see that sort of decal today in some uh, like Harlem and uh, like some of the, uh, the clown like circuses. Yeah. Do you think do you think these clowns or or like the Harlequin or clown stalkers? Do you think they could be tulpas? Actually, oddly enough, when we went through this, when we did our first video on the Harlequin. We went through everything we could think of it could possibly be, and our conclusion was Tulpa. Like, yeah. We talked it from every angle we could, and our thing for most likely ended up being Tulpa. And here's a really weird thing. When we made that video back then, we could not track down the origin of the Harlequin. We just could not find it. It was like clowns. It just seemed like no one knew it. But uh, overly sarcastic mythology had kind of cracked this. And the first appearance of the Harlequin comes from medieval France, and it was Familius Harlequin. And what that was, was this roving band of demons that went across the countryside trying to (laughs) capture sinners. And it was led by this head chief demon sent from hell called the Harlequin. Later on, this became a character adapted to French passion plays. So when they do religious plays, they would work in this character of the Harlequin into them. And it became a major, major fixture. Then, oh God, French words, hard. Let me make sure I pronounce this. Commedia dell'arte came out later on and they took the character of the harlequin and reworked it into this background fixture of puckishness and being mischievous and they gave it the name the harlequin and all the modern interpretations of harlequin pretty much come from that uh tradition of french play i mean the idea that it could be a tulpa in the idea that it could be a tulpa in which like you know well, I guess if like if it's like collectively humans all together, be more, it's an egregore uh, instead of like just a tulpa. Same same concept, but it's just like a group of people. You know, the yeah, well, we don't we don't know when the harlequin we don't know when the harlequ the 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 clown itself started, but we've known since like throughout all you know, of human history that humans have sort of always feared this entity with grotesque esque features that clowns tend to. Um, have that's just always been there so it could be something we've just collectively created with our conscious fear something that could possibly add to that is the clown seems to appear in multiple cultures about the same time because you have the japanese interpretation of the clown uh, occurring about the same time as the um as the european version of the clown and there's things that you can point out in traditional aboriginal culture in african culture 
that you could even say is similarly analogous. I wanted to ask then briefly because I heard I heard Mark Marcus mention uh, some other term besides tulpa. What was that term? Egregore. Egregore. So think okay. like a, think like what a tulpa is, but it's like a collective group doing it at the same time. Uh, okay. So so I, I I was probably under the false impression to. A tulpa to me was a, a an idea creature that was created by a person or people. So an egregore you're saying is actually the version that's created by multiple people. A tulpa is one person's imaginary monster that comes to life. You get multiple people together to create a tulpa, but an egregore is usually birthed from the subconscious projections of many, many people. Like the like the subconscious of a nation to birth an egregore. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what it. But yeah, you're 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 kind of right. Like, it, uh, it could be that these clown esque entities are just those that we've just collectively have been over time just creating in the world, just with our subconscious or conscious fear, depending upon whichever route you want to you want to take it. And if you want to go further into the Topa or Egregore idea, in the Harlequin accounts, one of the primary things that it seems to be doing is trying to hold attention and instill emotion in its victims. It wants it to focus on the Harlequin, and it wants to feel strong emotions, it, which would be the sort of thing that one would use to feed a tulpa. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to a lot of people like modern, like if you go online now and listen to a lot of tulpa mancers, I mean, I'm rolling my eyes, though. But, uh, you know, you, you listen to them talk, and a lot of times they talk about only being able to hear um, the tulpa initially, like in their own head. If you listen to a lot of stories like with the Harlequin or like with the kids you're talking about with like with like the stalker clowns asking they're hearing whispers like it's only then that's hearing it. Or if you look at like Stephen King, like talking about a scene with it where it's under the bleachers, only the one kid could see it. So I want to say this right now. We don't talk about our mascots often. Uh, we've got Opossum Bin Laden. We've got Moth Von Moonskull. Uh, I don't even I don't even know who I don't even know who else. Uh, Mothball Moonskull listeners might not even know this. That's the name of the logo of the face of the, you know, the main skull moon shit. Yeah. Um, I wonder, could we conjure these, these things? Can we be, uh, Tulpa Mancers? I, I, I like that. Don't, don't, don't do it. The answer is yes, but we would not recommend don't, it. For the love of God, don't do it. I'm it telling sounds, you it now. Like we should do it. No, no don't. don't. Sounds like an endorsement don't have from the, the One time. Candle Society. I would one go Candle Society it, endorses making tulpas. We're learning tonight. No, no, no. <laughs> strongly disagree. Strongly we disagree. Strongly disagree. Our, okay, we did our we did an episode where we did tulpas. We and almost lost our damn minds we researching did. tulpas. <laughs> only fucking video we've ever done where we started. Where most of the time when people are talking about stuff with the paranormal, they're generally supportive. You know, yeah, we're cool. We literally said, if you're into tulpa, Nancy. Don't watch this video because you're going to get mad. And we talked about it because it is. The, you know, go ahead. Before you started researching tulpas, I, I had researched these years ago. And what did I tell you when you when you started the research? I would fall down a rabbit hole and I might go crazy. Yeah, yeah. And guess what happened? <laughs> I he fucking did. went crazy because it is fucked up. The whole, <laughs> the whole culture. I will. I don't care if you have tulpa listeners. You will let the you let the cat out of the bag. They're not going to like this episode. That whole culture is fucked up. They are wow. giving horrible advice to people about what to do about creating tulpas. And beyond that, when we talk about if there's a paranormal threat to, you know, humanity, humanity what do we think it is? It's probably fucking tulpas. Like, it probably <laughs> is. You go on their website and listen to their stuff. They just give on purposefully inaccurate information. On purpose. Like, Bigfoot, Bigfoot's not going to overthrow America. Tulpas, good. Maybe, yeah, they maybe. might. Yeah. Holy shit, I don't know. I, I I have no context for what all this means. I'm gonna have to do research on this. Yeah. You guys are gonna force me to go mad. Uh, we, we did a real <laughs> deep dive yeah. 
go on Tulpas in a video. Go go research Tulpas and then think what you and then see what you think and then watch our video where we critique what modern Tulpamancy is about. Yeah, then have, about about what it is. Well, we have fucking homework now. Okay, now we have <laughs> homework. Not to, I, I, I'm loving this, but I do want to like kind of get to uh, well it, wrap up sort of this the the sure. killer clown thing, but. I did want to mention that, like, when, when, when stuff like this, and this is just, for, again, a modern uh, vantage point, when stuff like this goes crazy, I get uh, pranking people. Around the same time on YouTube in 2016 and 17, prank videos were all the rage, um, Jalalas, all that shit. When, whenever you put yourself in a situation where you're going to openly threaten someone, especially, and that's why I brought up the sledgehammer, if you're going to openly threaten somebody what whatever's coming to you is coming to you and the 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 tragic side of this is i I couldn't find many many reports necessarily in my google searches but i found one about a a kid named christian torres or torres and Mm -hmm. he was stabbed to death at his own house Mm -hmm. by by someone who i won't even give his name breath and um it's all due to this killer clown you know the pranking Mm -hmm. deal and so you know sometimes just be, be, uh, pranks are fun, but I don't know. Be careful. <laughs> you, you don't want to move on yeah. from the topic, though. Yeah. There is one thing that Marcus noted a few years ago on this subject that blew my mind, yeah. and I, we got to go over it. Although, to be fair, Lauren Coleman actually did it too. Wasn't just me, but I. Oh, but I. You but were I, the first person I heard it from. No, so I but thought I, you came up. But with I will it. check this out. But I, I can take that. So, check this. So, this is interesting that that uh, a thing about like the phantom clown phenomenon that you're talking about is popped up in 2016, right? Um, something that that that's a huge trend around whenever cl- uh, phantom clown killer clown phenomenon spikes, it's always around election years. 2016, the last major spike before that was 2008. Listen, I know Ooh. all the best clowns. Trust me, I've got the best clowns. <laughs> They're tremendous. I'm gonna fill my entire cabinet with them. Yeah. You, know, you, know the two, you know the two major states where phantom clown phenomenons were cited in the 2015. It was Wisconsin. It was Wisconsin and Florida. Both about. Both battleground states. Okay. Both battleground so Trump, states in the 2016 so election. Trump or Hillary had it in with the clowns. Trump won both. There's definitely some sort of connection between politics and the clowns. We have yeah. not nailed down a solid answer yet. We've debated well, this for many yeah. hours. Did you well, see that that it was on TikTok? On TikTok uh, in 2020 during the two, during the 2020 election, uh, there was a big spike in uh, in, in uh, like stalker clown uh, videos pranks. That went around on TikTok again. I don't. I don't have tick 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 tick. I don't TikTok, either. But <laughs> I think I have an answer for you. The, between the politicians and the clownling, they're clowns. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna say Hillary and uh, Trump have a lot of clown-like qualities. I mean, <laughs> oh, visually, yeah. yeah, that's true. You know, both uh, both visually and you know. In, in, their, in their persona, yeah. <laughs> I feel um, like there has to be more than that. There has to be some sort of hidden truth behind this connection. But for the life of us, as much as we've talked it out, we've not found like, it. We're still working on. Like it. I don't know. Like I think that like whenever we like really deep dived into this like a couple of years ago, like the best thing that we could really come up with, like if you really look at like a lot of the stock clown stories, nobody ever gets caught, and it's broad daylight. Broad daylight. People like some of the. There's occasionally a couple stories about like teenagers getting caught or whatever, like. That are goofing with a knife, but it never seems to be the real actual. Yeah, ones. yeah, you know, it, it's it's never any of the the places that wherever these things sort of kick off. And in the 1980s, they found zero people. 2008, it was it was it was a similar thing. The, there's a couple stories of people getting caught, but it's it's predominantly they don't. 
you know, yeah. and it's always stalking kids, you know, and, and, and I always find that very interesting that it takes, I would think a lot of power to be messing with, like, just to be messing with people and just not getting caught in just today's age. There's got to be somebody pretty elite. If there's really something going on, if it's a physical thing that's going on or it's a supernatural thing that's going on. I'm going to, I'm going to get off the fence. I'm going to say if it's physical, then frazzle drip is real. And the clowns are all part of an elite satanic sex pervert cult that likes to get the adrenochrome from the kids. So they whisper it in the woods. If it's, I'll give you a maybe on it. It's just a crazy thing that I've come up with. I'll give you a, I'll give you a maybe. I think the furthest we've really gotten on our theory is if it is physical, then it has something to do with political actors acting within society, trying to drill, drum up turmoil and affect like these zeitgeists of a community somehow. But I think that's as far as we've gotten. I, it's it. I see those things being sort of parallel in a way. I'm going oh, yeah. more. Oh, yeah. I'm going way more conspiracy, stupid ass with it. Sort of, I guess. I don't know what's real because she's <laughs> fucked up in this fucked up world. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, they, they keep targeting kids. So you know, that's what yeah, I'm I mean. Saying. That's that's the thing. They keep targeting kids. That's kind of part of the conspiracy. You know, you know what the, the cops found pattern. On, <laughs> what the cops found on Anthony Weiner's laptop was him dressed as a clown, and they were just like, "Fuck!" and they started killing him. One hundred percent, I one hundred percent believe that. <laughs> if it's supernatural, I am now convinced, thanks to you, to you guys, that this is some sort of talpa or what's that other word? Egregore. Egregore. Yeah. I think that this is some sort of like again a a, a mass. I'm going to go egregore on it because it's a massive psychological. I don't want to call it mass hysteria because that, I mean, if you want to come at it from a, like a scientific point of view or a mainstream scientific point of view, a clinical cynical, whatever, you know, that term clinical cynical. Yeah. Something. (laughs) I I got both of those words. Clinical cynical stuff. A materialistic (laughs) point of view. Right. Then you could say, Oh, these people are losing it. And there there was a few pranks or whatever, but everything else that you brought up and I didn't know about this kid connection and, this is it. This is why listeners go listen to talking with Shadow. <laughs> yeah, man. I got a I quick mean, question. Can I take clinical cynical? Can, can, I, can I steal that? I want to start using that. Yes. Thank you yeah, very well, much. Endorsed. <laughs> Guys, just you, just you though. I, I, I won't ask. Like, it, Marcus cannot use it. I, I will punch yeah, him if he does it. Censoring me. It's, a, it's Vic only. Yeah, Vic only. That's a Vic exclusive saying. Before before we we wrap this up though, Ricky, I just want to get your take on all this. What the fuck you think this shit is? All these clowns. Oh, <laughs> oh bro, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's kind of fucking cool though. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. And I like, I, like like, I, I kind of like it, but I understand like clowns don't like freak me out. But if they did, and like like we were saying earlier, I mean, even though a clown doesn't freak me out, if I saw. You know, it don't even have to be a scary clown. If there was just a regular ass clown just hanging out by my car, you know, <laughs> yeah. in a dark parking lot with no one around, then it's like, no, bro, we're about really to throw down. What's really going to get you, man, is like, you ever wonder if like there, maybe the reason you haven't seen it was because you're not scared of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shit. Which may mean whatever you're scared of, maybe just waiting. That's the part that's going to freak you out later. Oh, fuck. Well, I don't know. Damn, what the hell scares you? Me? No, well, <laughs> yes, he's Lo- very scary. No one scares me. Taxes, taxes, <laughs> yes, they're coming for you, Marcus. They're, they're coming, coming for, for my you. body. That's why I bury my money. I turn it into gold and I bury it in my backyard so they can't find it. And that's why I go <laughs> dig it up. <laughs> oh shit! 
I was guys. talking about burying gold the other day. <laughs> what a idea, man. To you, Travis. <laughs> to me. It was a joke, but yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. Don't no, make it a joke. Make it a reality. Yeah. Don't make it a reality. It's too easy to dig up. How do you don't tell people where it's at? I just look for freshly dug holes you in your yard. You put a plant over it, you schmuck, so people can't see it, you amateur. <laughs> You're terrible at hiding your gold. I'm just going to tell you. No, no, I told everybody how to find it. If you All put right. a sign that says gold is buried here, no one's ever going to believe it. That, that, that's that's true. One of the things I love to do is yell at kids to get out of my yard. So I've spread the rumor all throughout my neighborhood that there's gold buried on my property to like break kids into coming out of my property. That just sounds like you're grooming kids. He's a clown culpa. I've also spread the rumor throughout the neighborhood that my wife's a witch who like will also like snatch kids away. Oh my night. Okay, there you go. I like creating my own folklore in my neighborhood. That's awesome. Really should not pause in the middle of that story, man. <laughs> like take a big breath and just keep going. <laughs> Everybody I'm almost a, a full bottle yeah. of wine into the night. So where I was gonna say, everybody take a big old swig in honor of a uh, oh, <laughs> of the clown salpa. Yeah, cheers. 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 cheers, cheers, cheers. There you go. That's because, a, I, because I had to stop my drink to like cheers with you, I ended up dribbling down my beard. That's okay. I, you that's know, it comes with, I mean, really. People are ever listening and they're really wanting to get uh, into the paranormal. It does often come uh, with a good dose of uh, alcoholism. <laughs> I've discovered drinking Alps. You need whiskey to stay up those late nights and have your mind fried. I mean, it's true. Whiskey and coffee. Great combination, yep. right? Yep. Super up, healthy. Up and down, it just keeps you right down the middle. <laughs> whiskey, co- whiskey, coffee, weed, and I mean, unfortunately, cigarettes, but it's vice. It's Call vice. It the straight and narrow. Oh, yeah. yeah. guys um this this conversation has led me to want to do a lot of research um thank you for bringing this topic to the nightclub and yes up next we have a midnight ritual indeed and this was a pull from mama's box i gave our guests the choice of a bunch of films they went ahead and chose Coraline. so if you don't know what a midnight ritual is if this is your first ever episode the midnight ritual is whenever we like to kill the lights, grab our favorite drink, our favorite treat, and we snuggle in on the big comfy couch right in front of the TV. And if you haven't seen the film, cry off the podcast now. Or don't. Oh, you bastards. Why are you torturing me like this? Why? <laughs> Coraline is a 2009 American stop-motion animated dark fantasy horror film. That's the official 
genre. So horror is the last genre. Uh, and I want to do, I do want to say this film was chosen by Angel, who is not on the show tonight, unfortunately. Um, so she kind of gets to miss out on Coraline, her own pick, but it is what it is, because now horror is still a genre in this film. So dark fantasy, all that definitely comes first. And it's written and directed by Henry Selleck, who's most famous for everybody's go-to Halloween, you know, whatever nowadays, which I even pimp it to. I love it. The Nightmare Before Christmas. Everybody knows Jack Skellington. And he also made James and the Giant Peach. Um, I love that movie. I don't know yeah, if you guys ever seen that film. Movie. Marcus is a huge fan of it. He oh, talks yeah. about I love that. I love that movie. I like I so growing up like every kid my age I watched Nightmare Before Christmas uh I, I grew up in the 90s into the 2000s so I'm 32 years old at, at at the time of this recording and Nightmare Before Christmas was just Halloween go-to material but James and the Giant Peach I mean it's not a horror it, it's got horrific elements in it in a lot of ways that don't really get delved into and i wonder if there could be a darker version of that story but it, it doesn't need to have a darker version i mean it's a kid's film and it's it's that movie is fucking amazing man the, the what are those glowing little bugs he chases what what are they glow bugs Gra- <laughs> oh <laughs> that's what they're called flies. oh they're fire okay right and he eats one correct james the giant peach yeah I don't think he does in that one. No, he eats well, a worm. No, he ate a crocodile tongue. That's what he ate that movie. He ate a crocodile tongue. That's what they were. The little glowing things that the wizard guy gives them that are going to grant him wishes and stuff. Yeah, the well, crocodile what, tongues. What turns what turns him to uh, into claim or stop motion? It's eating that, croc- right? Yeah, he, yeah, he eats a he he takes a bite of the peach that a crocodile tongue jumps inside of, and then he eats it, and that's what turns him right. into right. See, it's yeah. it's been a while, but I do remember that 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 was the case. Man, I want to I want to. I love that movie. Yeah, I want to say it was a crocodile tongue. Uh, it was like a hundred of them, pulled in the skull of a dead witch for three days, uh, and for three days, and then like three spoonfuls of sugar. Just a point of note on why he knows this: you're bringing up his favorite scene in the movie. It is my favorite. I love that guy. I love that wizard guy. He's great. He's so cool. I and I swear to God, I knew a meth manufacturer that looked just like him. That was like an evil version. <laughs> That also made a lot of weird concoctions, but they were of the drug relate. You know, they were of the drug paraphernalia kind. But well, um, your 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 history your history of doing crystal meth aside, um, Henry Selleck. <laughs> no, uh, <clears throat> that's crazy, man. You hear how he brought up that witchy shit? That's what I'm saying. So he's got a dark streak in him. So I guess maybe the darkness could be in that. That movie's got some sad moments and some heartfelt moments. We're talking about Coraline tonight, not James and the Giant Peach, but maybe right. you should have. Before we get too far into Coraline, I want to say thank God for freaking Neil Gaiman. I love all of his freaking work. Yes, and 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 this this story is based on a graphic novel, correct? By Neil yeah, yeah, yeah. Coraline's a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and and um, this the prolific uh, comic book artist. Um, mm-hmm. I absolutely love the guy. Love yeah, all yeah, his work. Yeah, it's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a really good book that people should read. And truthfully, it's even scarier in the book than it is in the movie. That but I, I think, be... yeah, but I think that's a, I mean, it's a common thread with most of the, most of that director's. Uh, uh, I think his name's Steinman, right? Uh, uh, Henry Selick. Selick. That's right, Selick. A lot of Selick's work. What's really cool is you can watch it as a kid and be scared, and then when you watch it as an adult and think about some of the concepts in it, it scares you. <laughs> scares you just as bad. But I'm watching it. Like it's 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 just really neat stuff. 
But with this movie, I think I saw for the first, I want to go round table with this. We do this on Joe Blow Horror Show as well. The first time I saw this movie was after, long after it came out, because this film came out in 09, but I might have seen it around 2015 or 16 and was, you know, tip, tip in my hand, blown away. But um, what about what about you guys? Oh, I loved Coraline from the first time I ever saw it. I love the animation. I love the music. I love the storyline. Uh, one of the odd scenes that really sticks out with me is the mouse circus. <laughs> For some reason, I really like that. <laughs> the, all the symbolism just... Oh, God, that, the movie's just jam-packed with symbolism with, with, at just, every angle. You know, it's it's you know it's so cool. Like especially like if you're like just like a quirky kid, like growing up, like how easy it is to like identify with either the characters of like either YB or just Coraline. Like how you can just identify with either of those like people, just either of those characters, just during the whole movie. It's just it's just either of those like, that aspect of it is just what really just draws you into it. What I want to know is why is it the bookish loner is always the female character? Because I'm a bookish loner, so I always end up identifying with a female character for some reason. Nah, I don't, my, I don't know. Where's my it male does, bookish loner uh, characters? They, watch the they had movie. one in the Neverending Story. Yeah, that I, that's there for his you, name man. was his name was H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, I there you go. don't there get you me started on Lovecraft. I'll be on them all night. Like, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, we ride those nuts too. Cause I didn't, uh, I didn't tell you guys I'm actually a channeler. What I do is I channel H.P. Lovecraft, and then I make everyone very uncomfortable with the things I say. It was pretty racist. <laughs> the fungus from Goth is one of my favorite freaking books ever. I absolutely love it. It's a book of really screwed up poetry he did. He's a dark, he's a dark lovable racist. What are yep, you he do? is very yeah. racist. Very. Like, um, speaking of Coraline and... Uh, YB, that was they were voiced by Dakota Fanning, who you know she was all the rage back then, and YB was Robert Bailey Jr. I'm not sure who that really? is. Yeah, I'm also not sure who that is. But um, this film also stars Terry Hatcher as uh, Coraline's mother. She's she's Mel, I guess that's her name there. I I don't remember this from the movie, but you know what are you gonna do? Um, the, my favorite <laughs> was she's in Desperate David. Housewives. Who's that? Of course, you would know that. What? Yeah, I know. I do know that. My favorite is Keith David showing up as the cat because I really wanted that cat to say "ass to ass." <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted it to happen, man. It would have been the best. Ass to ass. Ass to ass. Ass to ass. Ass to ass. I love all sorts of stories with weird, well, supernatural talking cats because I also really love Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, through the whole movie, like it's really kind of like. A gothic Alice in Wonderland, like, like kinda, kinda. With a talking cat that guides this quirky okay. girl. Okay, I mean, you, the you animate gotta, the gotta, the animated movies. You gotta remember, I'm I've read every edition of Alice in Wonderland ever out in the annotated version as well. I would say it's not that similar. Let's but get, there's a few similarities. Let's compare the movie. Let's compare the movies here. The animated the animated Alice in Wonderland here. Where this quirky girl fall like goes through a hole like a tu- like a like a tunnel finds a talking cat and has to defeat a matriarchal character. First, the character of Alice from Alice in Wonderland is not a quirky girl. Alice Ludwig, the character, the girl that the character was based off sorry, of, was sorry, a quirky sorry. girl, fair, fair but enough. the actual Alice was not. Fair enough. Fair enough. Sorry, sorry. She was very matter of fact, but still, you're getting me riled up. <laughs> I did not expect to hear an Alice in Wonderland Coraline debate tonight. This is amazing. I'll do it all. Night. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it's 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 you can you can tell that the theme. I mean, they're different, but you can tell that the that it 
there's an inspiration from Lewis Carroll in the movie. Is That's, there? Yes. I, 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 don't I, I don't. I'm not a huge Alice in Wonderland buff. I don't know. Um, I've seen the Disney film. That's about it. Never read the book. I used the movie. The- I'm not talking about the book. Okay, I mean, I don't know the movie that well, but I've read the book many times. Wait, Lewis oh. Carroll is English, right? Uh, Charles Dodson is the actual person. Uh, Lewis Carroll was his pen name, and I believe he was American. No, no, he's, he grew up in England because he grew up in Cheshire. Gotcha. Um, and because one of the beliefs of where the Cheshire cat came from is the church he attended. You know how he went to a Catholic church, and you know there's a lot of statues there. Mm-hmm. In um, one of the statues, there's this grinning cat looking out beneath one of the robes of one of the monks in the statues. Right. And also there's a tradition there where um, – you take a cheese shaped like a cat's head, and then you kind of eat it over time and make it slowly disappear. And that's another thing that was believed to give um, inspiration for the Cheshire Cat. Whoa! Damn. <laughs> Listen, I know, school. I know my Lewis Carroll. <laughs> We're getting schooled on Lewis Carroll tonight, yeah. man. Holy shit! But it seems to be the it seems to be a common theme of weird children crawling through crawling through uh, like. Tunnel portals to a to a weird mysterious land. seems to seems to be a popular theme in you, English literature. I'll give you the door and the cat are similar. Yes. Yeah. Well, it happens in um in uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Englishman loves closet. sending kids through tunnels to, to <laughs> well, magical he's, lands. He's not. He C.S. Uh, Lewis wasn't English. He was American. But he spent most uh, much of his time writing in Oxford. Oh, he was buddies with uh, Tolkien there. Yeah, yeah, because I actually yeah. went to their their bar and their tree when I I, I went over to England for a little oh, bit as go, a research assistant. Go, go fuck yourself, baby. Dude, I worked the whole time. I was there <laughs> working for a professor while I was there, and she worked me to fucking death. Every Asian but, girl in, in England thought you were Hagrid. Oh, my God. Harry oh my Potter. God. Okay, can I derail for a story here real quick? I yeah. worked hard. One of Bullshit. Them, one of them, okay, I snuck away for a few things. And one of the things I snuck away for, because I was in the uh, Pitt Rivers Museum almost all the time doing research for the professor I was with. But I snuck away at one point to go to, um, like, Tolkien's tree. Because one of my goals in life was to smoke a pipe under Tolkien's tree. I brought my pipe with me just for this. I sat under Tolkien's tree, lit my pipe, as well as long church warden pipes like you see in the Hobbit movie. And I'm just sitting there enjoying my smoke. One of the people that I'm traveling with, another researcher, goes up to a group of Asian girls who are visiting from, I'm assuming, Japan, and tells them all I'm Hagrid from the Harry (laughs) Potter movie. So next thing I know, I am swarmed by this huge group of girls not speaking English, just climbing all over me and taking pictures. <laughs> Ricky, it's like our, it's like the Japanese mob that scenario we used to. Yeah. Oh, I, no, like, I was confused as hell. I like to point this out. Tolkien smokes under that tree and writes one of the greatest literary works of all time. <laughs> you smoke under that tree and then have a bunch of Japanese girls running up to you asking you if hippogriffs are real. <laughs> the question is, which one is better? <laughs> I love this man. Oh, we we, we I want to say Ricky and I. Are I, I apologize. There, we got derailed from. Uh, no. No, no, no. And his ripping this, off of his curl. The nightclub. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what we do here. That's what we fucking do. Um, <laughs> by, by hook or by crook. <laughs> no matter what, I, what, no matter which way I steer the ship, it doesn't matter. It fucking it starts sinking. We we make it to shore, but it, it yeah. sinks along the way. Um, gentlemen, it was a privilege. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for going down to this boat. No, guys. Uh, we are huge Lord of the Rings fans. Just pointing that out. Oh, oh, um, yeah. Very, very big. Uh, I think that's probably. I mean, it's it's always neck and neck. Like if I gotta choose a favorite film of all time, 
of all time, it's always hard between Rocky and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. That's a really uh, those are hard ones right there. I that's really hard. Like that's hard. And and you know, I, I for me personally, and and I want to throw Evil Dead and Texas Chainsaw in there too, just to give them some props. But you know, it's the the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, man. Jesus Christ! It, I mean, it's that, not as good as Bad Taste, but you know, it's it's still amazing. I thought you were gonna say Darkness Falls. You missed your fucking opportunity right there, dude. No, I, I thought about saying that, but I was I, I decided to give Darkness Falls a rest. I fucking hate Darkness Falls. You Go brought it. You to- brought it up, not me. Go listen to the Joe Blow horror show episode where I unleash my rage on that fucking mediocre pile of shit. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry if you like it. Um, you suck. Uh, <laughs> no. Okay, let's. I'm gonna jump in to this this film because we've been talking about. I wanted to talk about the box office, but fuck all that money. Fuck it. The film opens with a puppet being made in this ultra fucking cool stylistic intro where you're introduced to the stop motion and you see the stitching together of this you know this figure who you're going to recognize in in just a minute because Coraline and her parents move into the Pink Palace apartments. Uh, this place, like like Vic was saying, it's like this gothic. I mean, well, he said Alice in Wonderland. I, I didn't have that on my mind, but it definitely evokes a gothic, but also like a sweetness, but still melancholy because the weather is just constantly dreary. There's always fog. Yeah, rain. it looks like fucking Transylvania or something. But the Pink Palace is literally this pink gothic wooden uh, apartment, but but it's like a house. It looks like a like a I don't know, like, uh, how to describe the architecture of it. Um, I'm not an ar- architecture buff, but it's, it's, I guess, Victorian-ish. I, I it's like if Adam's family met Princess Bubblegum. Yeah, but the, the thing is that <laughs> contrast is really freaking cool. Yeah, totally. Yes, it makes it memorable. And I like, to, like the Pink Palace, I mean, you're going to remember the name and it gets brought up a bunch, but it's, it's our set piece. It's where the movie takes place. You're introduced to Coraline, this sweet little girl who's got blue hair. And she picks up a magic dowser, she calls it, but it's like a divining rod. And she's trying to find water with it. She comes across Wybie. That's the weird kid in, in the film. He's like a photographer, you know, sort of artsy, dark kid. Uh, banana like slug it. enthusiast. Banana slug enthusiast. He yeah. likes hey, to ride banana it. Banana slugs are cool as hell. <laughs> I'm not doubting it, man. I've never tried to take pictures of him like him. So I've never, <laughs> I've literally never seen one in person. I've never They're met one. Cool. You'd remember dub- if you saw one. He dubs her <laughs> Coraline Jones, the Water Witch of Michigan. And I'm like, that is such a fucking cool title because she tells him she's uh, from Pontiac. She's moved there with <laughs> That's her. That's pretty cool. That's funny. You know, the funny she's- thing that I like about that when they first when they first meet is this whole there's this whole theme of portals throughout this whole story. And like the very first time that he meets her, she's standing on top of uh, the well. What you don't, but a lot of people miss when they're standing around the well is this ring 
of mushrooms. Yeah, fairy stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's that's standing that's standing around it, and they're talking about it being this thing that if you fall in, you'll just fall forever. Right. I would never go into a well within a fairy circle. I'm just going to say that right now. That's just asking for bad things to happen. So one candle society endorses going into wells. So no, no, opposite, opposite. Don't, don't do it. This is opposite day. Oh crap! <laughs> uh, I'm fucked. <laughs> YB tells her too. He's like, uh, by the way, that stick that you're holding, that's poison oak. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that. that was fun. That's what you're oh, trying uh, to use a dousing rod. We are introduced to the the the, the gnarly cat through the, throughout the whole introduction of this film. He he he's around this black cat with this cool crooked tail. And uh, later on, when Coraline's washing her hands, she's like lamenting to her mom about having to move there and unpacking and how they don't like to go out and do gardening, but they're like, what are they exactly? I don't, I don't kind of get what they're perfect. They're writers. They're writing about gardening. What are they writing yeah, he, about? He like writes about like gardening and like specific like plants and stuff, I think. And I think she kind of just like edits what he writes. Which I find it odd that two gardening uh, catalog people can't teach their kid what poison oak looks like. <laughs> I don't think that they're really really good. (laughs) This this movie just lost a half point based on that that fucking valid ass fact. This might be Uh, why they're living in a duplex with two other families. (laughs) With the the awesome Russian guy and those yeah. Well Coraline receives the the little doll from the from the uh the opening scene wrapped in like newspaper and it's addressed from YB. Um Mm -hmm. Apparently this this is his grandmother's doll, and he I guess he thought it looked like Coraline. Um, gave it to her, gifted it to her, and she you know she's she's bummed out. Whatever her par- her parents tell her, you know you're in this old ass house, go explore it. You know, so she's counting all the windows, she's counting all the doors, she's counting all the boring quote unquote objects that she sees. But finally, she finds a hidden door embedded in the wall, made visible by the old wallpaper. When her mom unlocks the door, behind it is only bricks. So kind of a letdown, especially because they made like a little bargain. Her mom's like, if I unlock this door, you shut up for the rest of the day. Right. <laughs> um, that night, uh, her dad cooks like this nasty shit. I don't know what the fuck <laughs> it is. And he makes this little rhyme about feeding her about buckets and ice. That comes up again later in the film. I wish I'd have wrote the, the rhyme down. I, I, I'm sorry, listeners and uh, guests, I did not. But that comes up again when, whenever she travels to this other world through the portal. Oh, my twitchy, witchy girl. I think you are so nice. I give you bowls of porridge and I give you bowls Ugh. of ice cream. Why don't you ever cook, Mom? She doesn't want this supper, and so she goes to bed. But later that night, that's when the mice, the, well, it's one mouse at this point, shows up and, like, leads her downstairs through the door into this intestinal portal. Like, it's, right? D- 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 am I the yeah. only one that gets... Like the, no. the, the, the oh, no, I definitely have this yeah, intestinal yeah, vibe. Yeah, yeah, she's crawling through some sort of like lower intestine. And when she gets to the other side, she's in back in the pink palace, like right back where she came from, but cooking in the kitchen. And it's established that mom does the cleaning, dad does the cooking. Cooking in the kitchen and humming a, a tune is her mom. And when her mom turns around, she's got these black buttons for eyes, like buttons like you sew into a jacket. And her dad has black buttons for eyes while he's playing the piano and singing a song about Coraline. She's introduced to these otherworldly other mom and other dad, and they cook a sumptuous baked chicken dinner and give her mango shakes. And they're trying to like ensnare her, you know, they get her to go to her bedroom, which is full of 
magical talking toys and a picture of her friends that she misses that are that are uh, also talking to her. And they have some magic mud. This doesn't get brought up much in the film that I remember, but apparently this magic mud can heal you because they rub it on her poison oak. And she goes to bed and wakes up in her room, the original room, the drab, unpacked room, and she's got no poison oak at all. So to her, it's kind of real, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, she tells her parents about it, and they're like, oh, you should go tell those actresses downstairs. And then you get like, then you get you you get introduced to big old tits. <laughs> Going back to the mud thing, that's a motif in storytelling. Whenever someone goes into another world, and big this old tits, back to like very old stories. <laughs> no, not the big old tits, but the thing where yes, you went to this other world and you came back, but there's only this very minor clue that was real, just enough to confirm it to you, but not enough to confirm it to anyone else. And the whole right. thing, the whole thing of them sending her on like these dummy things, uh, is like a real ancient. Uh, art of storytelling that parents did because they hate spending time with their fucking kids. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh shit, that makes me think of when Freddie pull, uh, uh, Heather pulls the fuck. No, that's the actress's name. Nancy pulls the hat out of the dream in Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, right. Yep. It, her mother is convinced at that point, but I think anyone else should be too. Like this, this bitch did not have the fucking hat in the hospital bed. Now she has the hat. All right, right, Freddy's real, and Freddy's in the dream world, being like, "You got my hat, bitch!" You know, right? Um, yeah, he's 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 mad. He's he mad he's making him. little one-liners. He's mad, mad him with all his little Rodney Dangerfield one-liners. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I'm just now imagining a a version of Nightmare on Elm Street where Rodney Rodney Dangerfield is playing Freddy. <laughs> oh, that would be so fucking amazing! No respect. No respect. That's why he kills all those teens because they don't give him any respect. Yep. No respect. Bitch. <laughs> After oh, I want to I want to mention too. There's an actual gravy train in the other in yeah. the other world, Pink Palace, yep. which that made me happy. It made me so happy. Thank you, Ricky. We share this sentiment. Uh, <laughs> does the One Candle Society also endorse having an actual gravy train at your at your? Uh, uh, I don't think we endorse eating food in another magical land with creatures yeah, you don't. Right? When you go into a magical land, you're probably stolen by fairies. And if you eat fairy food, they own you for freaking ever. That's you're the they, damn slave now. That's how they get you. They're like European scam artists. They're like, oh, now you ate this? Yeah, you owe me 30 bucks. If you're in another world, you eat nothing, you drink nothing, you just try to get home as quick as you can. Or the so crickety the one, pale picker will chase you out. I was, waiting, I, was, I was waiting to bring that shit up. Fuck yeah, dude. That's exactly yeah. what happens to Ophelia. So the One Candle Society fully endorses eating fairy food. When Corlon goes alone, politely, 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 you don't when piss Cor- on the table. That's how, that's that is a no no. They're called don't the good piss folk, on not hospitality. They're, good. they're called good folk because they like to be complimented. Will Ferrell smashed a fairy house in uh, one of his recent films. I'm just saying, Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, or whatever the fuck that movie was. Name the uh, last time uh, Will Ferrell got an actual Emmy or uh, an Oscar. Never. Yeah, there you go. They get, they're going to get you one way or another. I love Will Ferrell. <laughs> Fucking fairies. Um, after, after Coraline visits the actresses who are like these, these, old, these old biddies, one's got big titties and they have cats. Or no, dogs. They have a lot of dogs. They got a lot of dogs. The same lot- fucking dog over and over again. And they, and they have like Just a fucking... Control V. A bunch of fuck, <laughs> and they have a bunch of fucking stuffed dogs. Just Dude, all that, over that was house. so amazing. <laughs> they had a whole fucking wall of them. <laughs> oh my god, it was insane. 
uh, Coraline goes goes back upstairs, and she's going to go see Mr. Bobinski, the upstairs neighbor, who's voiced by Ian McShane. Um, fucking awesome. She finds all these packages addressed to him that stink, and she's like, here. And he's he's this, like, fat Russian with skinny legs that can ballet dance and, and parkour all over the place. Yeah. And he's like, oh, the cheese. It's all he's, my cheese. He's also a very interesting color. Compared to everyone else, yeah, yeah, he's, he's like a he's like a bluish gray. He he was cool. I like him a lot. He looks like a zombie from Dawn of the Dead '78. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can only, he does. <laughs> I can only uh, assume this is normal for the world because no one ever brings it up as being odd. But I, I also find it kind of weird that literally like the most non-white character in there is the one who loves cheese the most. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that uh, he does have a very French arm armpit hair mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got a like an army of, of fucking jumping, amazing jumping mice, and he's telling Coraline like, "Oh, I'm gonna fucking give them this cheese. They're gonna dance better to my oompa oompa instead of my tootaloo, whatever the fuck he's he's saying." Might also by why he's staying in an Airbnb with two other people. None <laughs> 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 of the people in this movie seem to have any actual jobs where you make money. <laughs> fuck no, man. They're all doing their own thing. Uh, it, it's after this that. Uh, Coraline is is um she meets up with YB in the fog and he's he's taking pictures of banana slugs and shit and he he tells her about the the doll and that his grandma does not want him to go into the pink palace the doll is supposed to represent a twin that was stolen stolen from this world okay so we're tying into that portal here and that night Coraline leaves a treat for uh the mice she's gonna like try to follow them and that's when you get like a slew of them and they bring her down there again through the hidden door into this otherworldly passageway. And she finds her other mother cooking and going outside to fetch her father. She finds him riding a gigantic mantis throughout, <laughs> throughout, throughout the, the, the front of the, the pink palace. And this bioluminescent garden is just blooming and bursting to life. And it's magical and amazing. And then we're introduced to Silent YB, who's got buttons for eyes like her other mom and her other dad. And they visit Bobinski and they're treated to this wonderful carnivalesque performance. <laughs> it's Vic, this is the part that you love, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The dancing rats. What's the symbolism with the dancing rats? Cause I have no idea. I don't know the symbolism on the dancing rats, but I will say, I think during a lot of the stuff that you're just going through, Gaiman is drawing on fairy folklore. Because you have the leaving out of treats, which is a common motif in fairy folklore, that you leave out presents for the good folks, usually food, so that way they'll either not do crap to your home, or so they can grant you favors. And another thing is uh, the disappearing twin and being replaced by, and then it being represented by the doll, seems really reminiscent of changeling folklore, where Faye would steal away a child and leave away a false, or then leave you with a false um, impersonation of the child. Well, the whole world is also a reflection of what, you know, Coraline wishes that these people in the other lands were like. I mean, she goes over into this world throughout the whole thing. Was it like her dad's a boring garden cataloger? And now in this world, he's legit like riding mythical insects through a nice garden where her mother cooks. And there's an actual like actual circus that's cool. And, you know, she goes downstairs in the next scene where the. The two sisters are legit, or friends, or I don't know their sisters are friends or whatever, are actually like legit cool actresses and things like that and put on cool drama. Like, they're always better in this other world initially at first appearance. One of the reasons I like the whole thing with the dancing mice and stuff 
is because I could not figure it out. I actually, usually the parts of a movie I like are the things I can't figure out that perplex me. And I have no clue what was up with that. Should, it's like the author, it's like sometimes band like the what the author of Watership Down said. Oh, like I love some, that. I love that they're, book. They're just rabbits. <laughs> maybe they're awesome rabbits living maybe, awesome lives. You know, maybe they're just dancing mice. Who knows? I could be wrong. I chalk I chalk scenes like that up to that exact idea, that notion is that this is just the filmmakers being creative. Like they just wanted right. to do this and, and they made an awesome scene. Like this scene is really fucking cool to behold. This whole movie is, I mean, absolutely. Stop I mean, motion the, animation. The stop motion alone is just like, dude, it's like this movie sets that bar so fucking high. I mean, it's beautiful. You but know? if you ever do a video on or a uh, podcast on the animated version of a Watership Down, please have me on. Okay. Yeah. And that movie's dark, dark as, fuck, as hell. So we totally could. Yeah. Um, not to spoil, we won't go into the spoilers on that film. Uh, we'll, 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 whenever you guys come back on. Thank we'll you. talk about that. Um, so after after this, uh, where, where the hell was I? Edit. Yeah, while you're editing, I've actually never seen. We were at the down, we're at the so. part where she's seeing the dancing mice. Right. I'm looking. I'm I'm trying. Oh, <clears throat> I do want to mention too, though, that these mice are like parachuting, and they're fucking uh, jumping up and down on these bouncy balls. They're playing the drums. It's crazy. All right. It's so, it's the best. It is. Once again, she goes. To, Coraline goes to sleep in her, uh, you know, her, her otherworldly bedroom, only to wake up in the original drab one. And her parents take her to town to buy school uniforms, and so her dad can drop off like his work, his edited final draft of his papers. This, this right here is where we get more of Coraline's resentment towards her parents, towards the real world. She's 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 she has a hunger for that fantasy life. You know, everybody wants to live their best life. Uh, you know, the modern modern vantage point quote right there, I guess. And her mom kind of feels for her, offers to go buy her because she wanted these gloves. Her mom was like, no, you can't have these gloves. They're too flashy. Everyone's wearing gray at school. Uh, Coraline is offered to go buy whatever she wants for supper. And she, she's like, no, nah, fuck this. I ain't got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. No, no. She stays behind and she goes back to the other world. And there she's treated to a good lunch and a new handmade outfit and a note from her other parents's parents's nightclub Nightclub. visiting to to go visit the actresses. This is when Keith David shows up. All right. And he he shows up. He talks velvetly and epically and soothingly into my ears and then runs off to chase something down because he's a cat. (laughs) And and so Silent YB and Car- Coraline, I almost called her Caroline. That's a running joke in the movie too. Everyone calls her Caroline. She's pissed off all the time. They go downstairs to the actresses. They enter a theater of dead dogs, right? <laughs> right. That's pretty they, screwed up. And they and 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 then then they're treated to this mermaid sex show burlesque sea shanty between the two actresses where they kind of have a fight where the stage all completely falls apart in this amazing visual spectacle. And then they swing from high flying. They're like uh, Robin. They're fucking Dick Grayson all over the place. Just <laughs> and, and dive into a, a single little tiny barrel. Aerials. Yes, aerials. Dude, 
what the fuck, man? This, like, I watched this again and I, I forgot about this scene. Yeah. This this scene is fucking awesome, man. That, and and all these dead dogs are just yapping and and and, and loving it. <laughs> I don't know. What do, what do you guys think about this this other spectacle, visual spectacle in in the in the film? Well, when they're looking at the dead dogs, it like reminds me of like being in my grandma's house, and like literally, they're always going to take every dog with them, like whenever they go to the grave. <laughs> like the whole, I mean, every every time she meets anybody in this other world, it's all just this reflection of what she wishes the other people in the world were like, or maybe even what they themselves wishes they were they, they, that they were like too. Kind of, yeah, because the actresses are in the real world, you know, they they they're still pretending. They're pretending, yeah. right? Yeah. And I wonder what that theme is. I never thought about that until you brought that up, Marcus. Uh, well, there's. That's the, I mean, that's the point of the movie. The point of the movie is that you know, in, in any in any sort of these like fairy tale stories and all the ghosts are fairies, usually there's some sort of lesson to be learned in it, and that's what she's learning, you know, in the whole story is gratitude. You know, she wishes, you know, in the real world that like all these pe- all the that you know that are, they, they were all cooler, they were nicer, they were different. She finds them, and this is what they're like. And at first, she's like, "Oh, this is great." And then she finds, you know, out that that's not really what she wants. That's really not what she wants. She wants other. She wants something else. She wants something else. She wants what she already had. So like, Coraline's really theme song. Coraline's theme song is: If you can't have the one you love, love the one you're with. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know that's something that you, you know, that's something that you see like a lot of time, like in Coraline. Like I'm not trying to jump ahead a little bit, but like with the ghosts and stuff that she runs into, like later in the movie. You know, that's something that's very profound, like in a lot of fairy tale-esque stories is you have like with a ghost, they never they you, you, you never learn like how death happens. But there's always sort of some sort of lesson in life that you typically learn. You know, and that's what Coraline learns. The whole movie is she learns the concept of gratitude, you know, gratitude of what she has. It's like, you know, like in uh, like a Christmas carol, like he, you know, with a ghost, he, you know, he learns, uh, you know, generosity or, you know, generosity and things like that. Or uh, uh, Hamlet, he learns the truth or something like that. Like That's what he learns. It's pretty common in a lot of English-esque ghost stories. See, and, and I got that theme from the film, the way you're describing it, and I love how you're describing it because I didn't put those connections together with those exact examples. But I guess I meant I meant that I didn't put it. I didn't put that together in like that. It her pretend or or the things she's she's desiring extends to the people that she meets and sees what their desires are. I didn't I mm-hmm. didn't really put that together. So so that that's a good that's a good point. Well, she has that. the she has the doll the entire time. The doll the, the the other mother sees through the doll, you know. And you never really know. You never really see where the doll is. And it's not like it's not like the other mother couldn't have seen like what the other people in the entire house would, you know, whatever their deep that you know their deep down desires were too. What do you guys think yeah. the best thing about the movie was? <clears throat> like yeah. the best thing. If you picked one thing that really characterized this movie, what would it be? The animation. I would, yeah, I was gonna say like, I mean, for me, if I'm watching it, the animation because the story, I I, I enjoy the story a lot. Now I don't want to, I don't want to go right to the end at the moment with with all my points, but the animation is just top quality, and I love looking at it. Um, right, and yeah, the atmosphere, the atmosphere and the score of the film also really lend to the story, which is good. It sounds like it's kind of typical, at least based in uh, or fantasy tropes, uh, but or folklore, which that, you know, that is what it is. Everything's repeated, but so uh, story would be a little bit secondary, which is still good. And the lessons learned are good, but yeah, I would say animation. I'd agree with Ricky. It, it's just a spectacle to behold. This is. Yeah. I would definitely give spectacular lead on the animation with the animation being a close second. What was the first thing? The style of the movie. 
what you what do you mean by style how they mix how they combine the animation the uh dialogue the pacing of the movie to create a singular feeling throughout the movie okay and that and that comes from someone who is a fan of uh uh neil gaiman or gaiman oh yeah Uh, i don't know and 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 that you know the original pacing of the story in the in the book. Um, actually, I have not read Coraline. I've read oh, a yes, lot of other right. Neil Gaiman work, but I haven't actually read Coraline. I'm going to soon, but I just haven't yet. Okay. But I love all of his writing. After after the uh, the actresses have their their showdown in the basement, pretty much, her other parents offer Coraline to stay there forever. The only catch is. She has to sew buttons into her eyes, and she's like, "Nope." Yeah, she she's a she very big no on that. She feigns ex- exhaustion, and she's like, uh, "I'm gonna skip the whole eye sewing ritual and goes to bed." But she wakes up and still finds herself in that world. Her other dad that she finds uh, still in this world reveals that you know they're all there based on mother, <laughs> mother and her strength, and her strength is their strength. It's it's mm-hmm. like. This is where you get – you're like, okay, now – it was indicated earlier when Mother was tapping her hand on the table waiting for Coraline to answer what game they might want to play, which I believe it was hide-and-seek, and it was in the rain, supposedly. Not supposedly. That's what she said. But th- th- this is where you know we're, we're starting to get a glimpse that there's some nefarious shit going on for sure, 100%, with, with Zombie Dad, who doesn't really want to do what he's doing. Coraline tries to run away, but that – the Keith David cat is like, hey, yo, I'm going to tell you about your mother. Um, <laughs> she wants Coraline for either love or food. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty is, cool. Is, yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Food possibly. And then he kills one of those circus rats and it reveals its true form, which is this grotesque fat uh, circus mice, mouse. And now it's a big, fat, ugly rat. It's a big old rat. This world is not what it seems to be. Some of them point. New Orleans rats, boy. That's the New York City rats, cuz. Some New York rats. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I used to work up there uh, in New York City overnight doing pest control. And let me tell you, them rats, they are for real the size of cats. Oof. For real. I'm not exaggerating it. They are humongous animals. Not having none of that. What's up with the black uh, buttons for eyes or any color button later? She she gets told she could pick her color. Is that is that... I, I don't know. Like I, I didn't research the film to that to the nth degree, or know as much as you guys do about uh, you know folklore or whatnot. What is the? Is there something to sewing the eyes? Like I, I, there are in certain fairy tales, but if I was going to venture a guess, my guess would be it symbolizes her now being blind to the real world. Right. But that's mm. really more of a guess. That's not coming from an educated place. But I would say that there's a good chance of that. Yeah, being I, yeah, I kept I, so. I kept waiting for her to for the the other mother to reference something of that nature. Like, yeah, you don't need those anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> you know, like it's like when she runs into the ghost kids later, and they just talk about that they refuse to see the the real person of who she is, and the buttons of the eyes are are the alleg- the allegory, the metaphor, the metaphor to it. Right. Back in the house, Coraline is offered by mother a cocoa beetle which mother then eats alive and starts to threaten Coraline while shifting shape, changeling, yes, or sort of, uh, into a jangly, grotesque figure. Could be a clown. I don't know. Who, who the fuck knows? And, ban- and banishes Coraline into a mirror. And she's in this, like, 
stone prison with this bed that's full of ghost children. All right. Holy shit. This is where the movie goes full on horror, in my opinion. The, these kids were, were all pretty much offered the same thing Coraline's being offered. Uh, this world where everything's perfect, but um, I don't know. I guess they were like a little, like, like you were saying earlier, ungrateful with what they had. Their greed led them here. I was picking up greed or the same thing, like you said, this lack of gratitude as a theme in the film for sure. Um, th- I think this scene pretty much makes that clear. They're asking Coraline, like, can you find our eyes so we can be set free? And that's when Silent YB rescues her from the mirror and helps her escape back into the real world. It's uh, not, not long after this, YB comes back asking for the doll and Coraline's like, check out this fucking door because her parents are like nowhere to be found when she comes back. They're missing. She, she's freaking the fuck out. And the, she, at the beginning of the movie, she went to the actresses and they read her fate in tea leaves. Mm-hmm. And now they give her a bowl of candy and chop it up and give her like a spyglass made mm-hmm. from the candy. There's a hole punched in one of the candies and this is going to allow her to, I guess, see the unseen. I, I've seen this in, 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 in a lot of different stories. You get the, uh, we, we talked about Lord of the Rings earlier, the Palantirs right volunteers yeah 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 and they're they're fucking you can see i'm trying to think of was it thundercats where that oh the sword of omens give me sight on sight well right yeah those ladies are they they represent a lot of the the friendly wizards that you the wizard that you meet on the side of the road that gives you advice wait wasn't there three of them no there was the two ladies oh it was the two for some reason i couldn't remember if it was two or three because i was gonna say if it's three it can be the three hags that you the see three hags right Celtic, like, you see it in the norns you see it in grecian mythology pretty much every culture has this story about three hags that can control destiny and see different points in time and you know they they when when i feel when i'm getting tongue-tied when i saw what the uh object did how you see you know the sight beyond sight when you look through it. I, I did go straight to Clash of the Titans. Yep. Oh, yeah. You know. So, yeah, the, uh, the, definitely then the spyglass permeates through uh, fiction. Um, Absolutely. That night, you get this fucking sad-ass scene, dude, where Coraline goes to bed with these makeshift parents of hers, kisses them goodnight, and goes to bed, you know, crying. The feels. Yeah, it's the feels. But Keith David returns, and he's like, come with me and it, it, it turns out they're trapped in a, a mirror world is that is that how that scene plays yeah out? she sees them and they're all like cold and like mm-hmm. stuck somewhere and you yeah, find her, out her where parents. later on yeah, yeah her parents. she's got to go rescue her parents so with no recourse Coraline is like i'm going on a rescue mission fuck this shit the cat's like don't you know if you're gonna go the thing you need to do is to challenge mother to a game she likes games so right. evil mother trying to be coy, uh, she locks the fucking hidden door, swallows the key. Coraline extends the offer to play a game, an exploring game, where she can find her parents and the eyes of the ghost kids. And if she does, you know, they all get to go free, blah, blah, blah. But if she loses, she'll stay there forever. Yep. That, that's got to be – that's like another – you guys keep quoting folklore and mythology and, and oh yeah, this is up. all over. Oh. The, the wager with the yeah. devil goes right. back right. about my, as hard as you right. want. My my question that I have for this is this: this is an archetype that's through so many of these preteens that 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 rescued. What preteen do you know that just screams dependability? 
<laughs> like, if right, you're right. on the line, that you're going to rely on some 10-year-old to come save you. But, like, beyond that, there's, like, <laughs> this huge stretch of mythology where these supernatural entities love games. They're obsessed with games. You can find it in, like, say, the Book of Invasions from Ireland. You can find it in fame mythology. You can find it involving the Norse gods. You can even take it all the way back to the earliest pantheon we have documented, which would be the Sumerians. And, like, in Ur, it was understood that certain daimons you could entice by playing games. Various have gambling addictions. It's pretty sad. All these demons (laughs) are fucking addicted to the casinos. They don't have support Um, groups. (laughs) Coraline is given a clue that each of the wonders, the three wonders that Mother made for her, she'll find one of the eyes. And so out she goes to the garden and uses her spyglass made of candy to find an eye after evading her other father and the garden mantis. But he eventually kind of gives it up to her. He, I don't know what the deal is with that character of the other dad. They, I don't, they don't go into it, but he's sympathetic towards her. I don't know right. what he is. Let me venture know. a guess here. The other mother is obviously something that has existed there long before Coraline because she has all these ghosts of previous children that came through there. Is she a cosmic deity? Perhaps, but she's something that existed nice. before Coraline. So whatever it is, her the, the version that looks like Coraline's mother is not its true form. Whatever its true form is something else, and it's probably changed over time. I would speculate that the other father is actually something woven together by the other mother. It's not the actual entity, but a projection that the entity has created to mimic the world that Coraline's used to, using the familiar to lure her in so she can be trapped. So Mm. I would say the other mother is the villain because she's always been the villain, but the other father, since it's just an extension that's based on the reflection of the real world has the potential to be a protagonist. Mm-hmm. No, Travis, you say you called her the cosmic entity. No, that's not the real horror of the story. Oh, you missed that. If you don't read, if you don't read the book, the movie really doesn't really talk about the real cosmic horror of the actual story. Oh, fuck. If you read the book, the whole tunnel, every time she's going through the, whenever she's crawling through it, as she like in the very end of the story, like she's crawling away, trying trying to get away through the whole story of the book. As she's progressing, the tunnel itself, she's describing like it's its own thing. Like at first, it's just cold, and then it becomes hot later in the book, and then it becomes wet. It gets bigger. She can feel it whispering to her as she's leaving. She knows that it. She says like it's old and it's watching her, and if she falls, she'd never get away. Oh my god. Like she's aware of it. But if at the end of the day it's not the other mother that's the real cosmic entity that what it, the other mother is is just some entity that's stuck in a much bigger, larger, horrific entity that's just waking up throughout the whole book that Coraline wakes up. But in some way this has to be a metaphor for rebirth in the womb. You're talking about warm, you're talking about wet. Right. Yeah, that's definitely. Or the or or not necessarily a womb or that she's just crawling through an esophagus. I I guess yes that as well. She calls it or an intestine because she calls it hair. She calls it hairy a little bit later in the book too. Okay, yeah, I think we can cross womb off then. This is why I give her not reading the book. It's yeah. on my list. I just haven't gotten around to it. That's the part of the movie really lays out, man. Is the real horror of this story is the other mother being trapped inside this weird entity that just seems to be waking up throughout the entire book. The other mother or, is or, the katata fish, or he's and, just laying in there, yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> and. <laughs> Our line is Limmy Weeks. Cold. (laughs) (laughs) Through the cosmic entity's anus. I love how we work park into this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Next, Coraline encounters the otherworldly actresses. 
I wrote down gumball medusas. I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> what what gumball does that mean? Ricky? Medusas? I don't yeah, know, what, but I, I love don't it. know either. Fuck. <laughs> Guys, any does that clue you in? Anything? You're asking us for insight into your own mind. I don't remember Stop what it. that could it's it's something to do with their hair for sure, or something that just I don't know. I'm so sorry, but she finds another eye there. And next up is oh Mr. B. oh oh what what because they're in that they're in that like uh is it like a cocoon looking thing and then she reaches in uh yeah and they're all gnarly looking and gross and they're oh. like thief stop thief because <coughs> all of their dogs are petrified on the walls <laughs> after that is Mr B Bobinski and uh, he is in fact a suit filled with demonic rats mm-hmm. yeah. A little but, bit of a boogie boogie feel there. Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. Henry Selleck's like, this idea worked before. Uh, and the cat gives her the last eye. I guess he kills one of the rats or something. I don't remember. Yeah, how he, he, he chases it. He, he gets it for her. She blows it, but he saves the day. He gets it back. It's after this, as the other world is crumbling in this, like everything is, is, is ripping apart into this white background where it's a void of, of just, yeah, whiteness, light, I guess. Coraline and Keith David retreat to the Pink Palace and to Mother. Mother destroys her candy spyglass and bluffs that her real parents are behind the hidden door. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Coraline blo- yeah, Coraline yeah. suggests that that's where they are. That's right. Because she wants, she wants the other mother to open the door. Yes, and she coughs up the key. And at that moment, she throws fucking Keith David right in her face. The cat just goes flying. He's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> And you get this the cat where attack. Folklore really comes back in right here. Because folklore is filled with these supernatural creatures. They're smarter than us. They're more powerful than us. You can't bully your way through them. But humans are more clever than them. Humans always win through some act of trickery or some act of cleverness or some act of deceit. Because these entities are much older than humanity. So the only way that we win is usually through yeah. that sort of act. Yeah. I mean, that's like the whole point of like what. When Neil Gaiman writes in his book, you know, he's like, you know, fairy tales are more than true. And they tell us that, you know, not that dragons exist, but that, you know, that they can be beaten. You know, that's what Coraline learned. Like, that's what the movie Coraline teaches us. That's some fucking poetry. Well, he wrote it, not me. <laughs> that, that wasn't me. I'm not, I can't still. That's Neil Gaiman, not me. Fucking Neil Gaiman. Dude. That's, dude, that's cool almost guy. clinically cynical. <laughs> so after she throws. Keith David right at her face. He's clawing out her button eyes. Right. And this, oh, yeah. He pulls them bitches straight out, too. This incurs her wrath for sure because now Coraline is trapped in this spider's web. The way it just, the, this this part was like, oh, fuck. That shit blew my mind. The way everything just became a fucking spider web. <laughs> how do they, how do they animate this? That's like, what I'm saying. I was like, what in the fuck? Uh, it's insane looking. And this, this ties back into the, uh, this is how I'm going to tie in the, the clown shit to this movie in my own fucking way. Stephen King, Pennywise, spider form is the only thing we could observe because the cosmicism is too great for our simple little minds. So mother is in the spider's web. She's a big old spider. There oh, we go. Shit, they were both arachnids. I just now realized that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she 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 starts looking. I mean, you know, she starts eating the bugs, and suddenly there's like buggy stuff, and then she starts getting more arachnid looking, and then it's like, oh yeah, straight up spider web right here. Here you go. 
Coraline manages to escape with, with the, the help of the ghost kids. And once she's out, her parents come home. <clears throat> it's been a little while. They're trying to celebrate their, their like garden review or catalog or whatever the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. And that night, Keith David's like, yo, we got to set these ghost kids free. Coraline's like, yo, you right, cuz. <laughs> so they go to the they, – they go to uh, banish the key away, right? Because mother's hand climbs out of the – from in between. There's still a link there. And they're going to go to the well. And her and Wybie – Wybie shows up at the last minute, real world Wybie. And he's there to fucking help her out because mother's hand is up to shenanigans, not mannequin shenanigans. They stop mother. They throw the fucking key into the well. All is right with the world. The next day, everything seems like, you know, Coraline seems to have learned, I guess, from her, I'm not going to say mistakes, but just she has her, yeah, she has her arc fulfilled. And Keith David the cat vanishes into thin air. And it looks like it's a happy ending on the looks surface. Looks like on the surface, yeah. right? Yeah, I don't know what the something I never noticed. And, you know, something I never noticed. I, I don't really ever remember anything wherever the doll of Coraline that the other mother uses to spy ever got returned. No, there, there, there's a few things that don't really get addressed again. Like I said earlier, the magic yeah. mud. Um, no, I mean, it like, like the other mother could still see what's going on and still watching what Caroline's doing and can still see her or Wybie Sweet or whoever. Caroline. Or it's like why i like his movies man because in the end when you watch him as an adult you pick up other stuff there's there's some more horror going on underneath let's let's fucking i agree with that that's a lot of man it was prevalent in some kids films but let's go ahead and uh do do our round table i want to do some ratings here on the nightclub we've got the dick system (laughs) how many and how many dicks no, 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 it's inches. We rate we, we oh. rate things from zero or well one to ten. <laughs> it's stupid. But you could rate things however you want. It doesn't matter. Uh Ricky uses the metric system sometimes. It doesn't it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh I'm gonna go first and I'm gonna say this film is an eight point five out of ten for me. I love the animation so much. Uh talking to you guys tonight has definitely opened my eyes to a lot more that I never kind of I, I I never made the connections necessarily. Um, yeah, same. I feel like we've got a scholarly presence on the show. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a big compliment there. Thank you. We're, we're still just, we're, we're just two idiots from Indiana. We're still waiting for our PhDs from YouTube University. Us. No, trust me, we're two fucking Cajuns from Louisiana. Like we don't know what. No, the you're, fuck. you're fine, man. No, we, so- we appreciate we appreciate the compliment. Thank you. So sometimes I, you know, we'll, we'll do the the deep dive research and really pull up the 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 deeper shit. I think I did. I think that was done pretty well in the Pan's Labyrinth episode and a few others. But yeah, definitely. There, there's there's also times where it's like we're just gonna have fun and talk about this. But I'm glad that we had you guys on for this because, like I said, you opened my eyes up to a lot more connections and sure. the the animation and the score again tied together like a vignette like it's like vignette after vignette after vignette it's just beautiful to look at the story works really well and if you're looking for a lesson it's got one and again again for the 
fifth time, based on what you guys have said tonight, it's like when next time I watch this movie, I'm going to be just eyes glued and looking for more and more. It, so it's, it's like any good story, really, where the more you dive into it, the more you're going to uncover and find. Right. Um, 8.5 out of 10 from me. Ricky, what do you, what do you got? Um, I was coming in at a 7.5 originally, but kind of like you, after <laughs> talking yeah. it out and listening to you and um, Marcus and Vic, talk about it i'm kind of just like i want to give it another watch and i want to i want to try to pick more of it up pick more things up with it and see if i can dive into some more uh hidden symbolism oh yeah so man. so i'm i'm feeling i'm feeling more of an eight now that's it um, they fucking brought the score up yeah yeah man i mean i mean right 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 away the the animation man the stop motion is top notch the mm-hmm. score is top notch um the atmosphere, the mood, everything looks amazing. The story's cool. The 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 other mother is a cool creature. Fuck you know, yeah. the Keith fucking David black cat. The yeah, the Keith David black cat dude. The opening, the opening hooked me. I was like, "What is this? This is amazing!" It, just that whole thing, and then she just drops it into space, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is the best." Yes. It goes into that void. Yeah, I was just like, okay, I don't... At that point, I was like, I have no fucking idea what this is, but I know that I already fucking love it. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So, yeah, I'm feeling feeling a strong eight at the moment with potential rise. That's a whole lot of love from both of us. It's a whole lot of love. It's the dick system, but also... No, 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 no. It's a lot of love. Uh, a a nine is a whole lot of love. Oh, that's right. And that's then right. ten is every inch of my love. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, with there the with the David with the uh, Robert Plant stuff and and the fucking Jimmy Page. Yeah. Brown out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Vic, okay. Marcus, what do you guys I, think of Coraline? What's your rating? I gotta give it a full Vic Dick for style. Most <laughs> <laughs> of a Vic Dick for uh, animation. A good portion of the Vic Dick for storytelling. <laughs> and about eh, a little over half of the Vic Dick for voice acting. Very good. <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to give it the full D. That's about <laughs> half. That's, that's about half of a Vic Dick, though. So that's oh, only like a five. Oh, no. <laughs> Why are you telling people our conversion rate? What the fuck is this? <laughs> hey, I'm just being accurate. <laughs> Want to compare math scores? <laughs> Sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, I was oh, trying to be clever, and you just shot me oh, down. Thank you, you very you'll, much. You'll beat me with your math scores. I'll smack you around with my GPA. Oh, I thought you were going to say with your Vic dick. I'm sorry. <laughs> is that, you so, haven't earned the Vic dick yet. Is, that, oh, a, is that a 10 out of 10 from Marcus and Vic? What is that from you? I, uh, you know, oh, I'd yeah. say all together, I'd give it a 9.5. Yeah, I, would, I mean, I would too. Oh, I really like it. It's good. You know, very, was, very cool. Yeah, you want I mean, a. You got you to love any movie that when you watch it again, you know, later, that you you can get something out of it. Like, you, you know, watching it, you can, there's something else to be noticed every time when you watch it, and there's just little Easter eggs just constantly every time you like you rewatch it. That's that's the main thing that, like, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of the more I'm, I think about it and I, and like I said, after hearing you guys talk about it, and I don't know, I, I just I feel like I need to dive in, and that's kind of exciting me. So definitely potential to rise on uh, subsequent viewings. 
Well, there it is. I, I've got an eight and a half out of 10. Ricky's got an eight out of 10. And Talking with Shadows collectively, a nine and a half out of 10. This movie is fucking, check it out. I mean, if, you, if you've listened to the whole fucking thing and you're spoiled as fuck, but there you go. I yeah. want to thank you guys very much for being well, on the podcast. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it this so much. This a flipping blast. I yeah, can't awesome. wait. I appreciate it. Oh, likewise, I cannot wait to have you guys back on. Yeah. Maybe, we'll some, maybe, some, maybe some more animation and some Watership Down action. Who knows? Oh, yeah, yeah, hell yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Don't worry. We're going to bring you guys, and we'll bring you guys on Talking Your Shadows as well, so I'll hit you up after the podcast, and we'll, we'll, we'll get the day going. Sounds great. I promised you guys will be our next our next guest. So once again, we've had Talking with Shadows from the One Candle Society on the podcast. That's Vic Waitley and Marcus D. Go check them out. Links in the show notes. Guys, it's been a blast. Thank you so fucking much. Embrace the conversation that everyone has, but no one wants to admit. Keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. I'm leaving that one in. Fuck it. Yeah, that was fun. That's the the good one. That's the money shot right there. If you're down and confused and you don't remember who you're talking to, concentration. Slip away Because your baby Is so far away Well there's a road In the fist and love And the eagle flies With the dove And if you can't be With the one you love Honey, love the one you're with Love the one you're with Love the one you're with Don't be angry, don't be sad, don't sit crying over good times ahead. There's a girl right next to you, and she's just waiting for something to do. And there's a rose in the distant love, and the eagle flies. And if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you with, love the one you with, love the one you with. Bye.
Come on, you win.